Good to see you on a beautiful fall day. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Mark once again. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. <clears throat> I think we'll begin reading uh, at verse 14. This was last week's session together, but um, we'll be looking pr- uh, primarily today verses 23 through 27, but let's read it in its context and beginning at Mark chapter 13 and in verse 14. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. And then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garments. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray you that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall all, shall, I'm sorry, in, in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened these, those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then, if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take you heed, behold, I have, told, I have foretold you all things. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his precious, holy, and powerful word. Let's pause for prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, thank you for the day that you've given to us. The opportunity of us to be gathered here today to worship, to praise, and to lift up your name, to bring glory to you, Father, for you alone are worthy of that. Father, as we look at this time frame of which is described as Jesus was visiting with his disciples and answering their questions, Father, it's probably beyond the scope of our really truly understanding the amazing and majestic power and magnificence that are yours and yours alone. But God, we rest at your feet in humility knowing that you are a God that is above and beyond all, fully in control and full of love and grace and mercy for us. Father, may we feel that today. May we taste more of all that you are today. Take us where you want us to be. May we see you more clearly than ever. For you are God, you alone. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what has brought us to the passage that we read was, and just to review quickly, uh, we've been engaged in what would seem like for some of you a very long study on the Passion Week. And Jesus was walking in Jerusalem. He'd been crowned king on Monday of this week. He's been going back home, home being that place where Mary and Martha and Lazarus in the little town of Bethany, two miles out of Jerusalem, he would reside there in the evenings. Uh, visiting with those very intimate friends. Uh, Lazarus was a point of 
I would have to say contention, quite honestly. He was one that just a few weeks previously that Jesus had risen from the dead. Well, that doesn't happen every day. I wonder what that looked like. That's like an anti-obituary. A coming to life. A coming to life rally. And Lazarus died and huh, came back to life. That caused a great stir in, stir in Jerusalem. In fact, it's told in the scriptures, we went through it when we were going there, that literally the, it seems like the whole town of Jerusalem uh, being whole in the sense, not every inhabitant, but everyone who would have come out looking for Jesus. Where would that been? Well, he would have been at Bethany. That's what happened on Sunday. The next day he was crowned king. It looked like, whoo, here we go. The kingdom is coming. We are on fire with Jesus, right? It's all good. It's going to be fantastic. And so what are you going to do the first day? You're going to wipe out the Romans because they're the biggest menace to anything that the Jews have ever had. No, we didn't do that. We went into the temple and cleaned it out. I can't, you know, just... Whoa, why, what are we doing here? Why are we, let's go down to, let's go down to the, you know, like the big guys, like the Romans. Let's go down to that place. No, 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 no we've got to start where business really needs to be taken care of. It's probably the same message for us today in our world. Start at the church. Start at us. But at any rate, we know that that day was probably a very, very significant one. He really ticked off the religious leaders. They were done now. They wanted him at all costs. They were finished. They did not need this Jesus anymore. And just to remind you that at the beginning of the three-year ministry of Jesus, guess what he started? The very same place he finished. He cleaned the temple the first time. His first order of business in John was to clean the temple. He's doing it now just a few days before he's going to be hung on a cross. He's going to take care of business. Then that Wednesday, which we, believe it or not, I don't know how many weeks we've been on Wednesday, but it's been a long time, and we're still on Wednesday. But he taught in the temple giving, I mean, what would have that not been fantastic? All of the distractions, all of the deluge of, I can't even describe it, all of the robberies in this, everything taking place in this, in this worshipful place of God has now been cleansed. And now Jesus is leading the people by teaching them. Standing amongst them, it was in the, women, the court of women, because that really was a place that anyone could be. And he's literally engaged with hundreds and hundreds of people telling them the truth. And we know that from previous encounter that here come the Pharisees, here come the Sadducees, here comes the scribe. They're going to take him out. They're trying to make him look like a fool. On each one of those occasions, it was like, <sighs> away they went. Again, Jesus wins. Now it's the end of the day. They've walked out of the temple, and the disciple, I don't know, it's like they missed what Jesus was saying. And he says, wow, what a beautiful place this is. I mean, just look at these fantastic structure. It's fantastic. And by the way, it was. They'd been working on it for 50 years. I don't know of a building, right? Do you know of a building that someone's been working on for 50 years? Other than my shop, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but really, literally, is there something? Okay, pretty, magna pretty magnificent, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, what did you say? That goes on forever, doesn't it? <laughs> but again, think of the, all of that time and all of that thinking and all of these things that are, that are going on. It is, there's, there's a sense of majesticness within that. All of that, some of those cathedrals back in, the, in, in, in Europe. I mean, amazing, the time and all of the detail, all of the attention. Well, that was given to this place. And he was amazed, this disciple, as they're leaving that day, oh, this is crazy. And Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, there's a coming a day that there will not be one stone on top of another one. It was earth-shattering to them. Quite what do you mean? I mean, what the world? This isn't this God's place? Didn't you just clean this place? Isn't this the deal? Uh, yes, but it's going to be just that way. And so they take off, and they're now sitting after a long day for Jesus. He must have been exhausted, totally, because we, we met with him actually looking the, early in the morning as they're going back to the temple. Guess what? The first thing he saw 
the disciples said, that fig tree that you cursed, it's dead. That's where it started that day, which was many weeks ago in our, in our little adventure. And now we find, literally, he is sitting on the side of the Mount of Olives. I find that very fascinating. What, they talk, what are they talking about? In fact, let's go back to the question that was asked, because it holds our context of what this whole discussion that we just read actually take, comes to play. Mark chapter 13, let's read again, verses 1. We'll start there. As he went out of the temple, this is Mark 13, verse 1. As he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and the buildings that are here. Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all of these things shall be fulfilled? That was the question. They had a couple of them. And in fact, you go to the other parallel passages, there was a third one. There was, there was basically the surrounding thing. They had to believe since Jesus was around king. I mean, they're getting the dissension. They're getting the feeling of people that hate him. They get all of that. But remember, this is, what did Peter say? He said, you are the Christ the son of the living God, which is exactly the right answer, which means he's the Messiah. He's the one that's coming to set up the kingdom. They had to believe that within a few days or weeks, this literally would be the inception of the kingdom. They've just crowned him king, for heaven's sakes. It's a great question. And he answers it. And it's the longest answer that Jesus ever answered. <laughs> it took in Matthew a couple of chapters. When is this going to happen? Well, there's obviously different there's, there's questions revolving on different things, and one was, when was the temple going to be destroyed? And that literally we know from history that it was in A.D. 70, about 40 years later. After the temple had been worked on for 80-some years, then the Romans came and just decimated it, destroyed it. There's nothing left. History bears that out. Jesus called it a fort. That's the neat thing about the Bible. You want to know what's going to happen in the future? It's right there for us. You know, and I would, maybe, I don't know why this keeps popping in my head today, but, you know, if you ask the Gen Zs, the number one problem in the world. And this isn't just uh, um, um, polling kids in the United States. When I say kids, you know, like, what is the Gen Z's? Like 18 to 22? or it's, it's, it's the youngest, the newest leaders, shall we say, that are being identified as a group of age. I'm scared to death, quite honestly. I mean, as an older person. <laughs> but at any rate, they said their number one problem in the world is climate change. Okay? Do you know the Bible talks about climate change? A lot. And you know where it is? It's right here in this what we wrote today. There isn't a thing that any one of us or anyone in this world should be concerned about with climate change because if you caught the verse that we read in Mark chapter 13, literally the climate will change dramatically. The sun will go out, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall, and the universe is in complete chaos. That, my friends, is true climate change. And there is nothing that we can do about it. And it will be reserved for that day. That's what's, it's almost like Satan has his little side paths, right? You can get him concerned about something, but it has nothing to do with the real thing. I want to know the God that made the stuff that's going to change. Anyone that should be concerned with being saved by that God, not being concerned about adding a millisecond to the length of life that they have living on an earth that's plagued by sin. The number one problem in this world today is sin. It always will be as long as sin is not. And you know what's really cool about the second coming of Jesus Christ? It's the end of the transgression, as it says in Daniel. The end of sin. Oh, my goodness, right? That's what we need. That's the change we need. We needed the sin change, isn't it? That's the deal. I really went down a little branch. Let's come back to our review for a moment. <laughs> Coming back. So Jesus now is, is 
he's, he's filling, filling this out. When are you coming? When is this sign going to be? What is the sign of your coming? When is the kingdom going to happen? Will it finally happen now? In fact, just to review one more time, let's go to Acts chapter 1. Now, Jesus has been with them for about 40 days at this point after his resurrection. So he, they have seen him dead. They've seen him buried. They've seen him raise again. And then he has this commissioning, if you will. He's been with them approximately 40 days. You find that in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. But let's go to verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Acts 1, 6. When they therefore were, were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? That's it. It was just in their minds. And by the way, it made good sense. Uh, how many times have you wondered, when is Jesus coming? When is he coming back? Now, there is, let's, let's make sure we understand this. It's, it came up in some of our discussions last week. Um, there's the rapture. That's the catching away. And that word is not, and that those that are, that are against the rapture say that rapture does not show up in the Bible. Well, the word rapture doesn't, but the, but the, the Greek term, the catching away, is very much there. We'll look at some passages maybe later today in the sense of saying that that is, in fact, the case. One thing we do, there's a difference between the rapture and second coming. There was a question, I think it was even Pete asked last week, about Matthew chapter 24, verse 40, 41, where there would be two walking and one would be taken and one would be left. Um, that has been used in numerous uh, sermons that I've heard about using that as a rapture passage. That has nothing to do with the rapture because Jesus is not asking a question about the rapture. He's answering a question about the second coming. So the second coming of Jesus Christ obviously is after the first coming. The first coming he came as, as a baby in a manger. He came in humility. He came as a savior. He came to save men and women and children from sin. The second time, there is no messing around. He is coming full-fledged king, power, and in authority over everyone, everything, every place, everywhere. Did I say that loud enough? Big enough? It's beyond that. It's wild. It's wild. It's wild. It's the force that he will come with the second time. Now, what I found is interesting is where are they sitting as he's answering this question? On the Mount of Olives. That's where he's coming back. That's exactly right. In fact, let's keep reading in Acts. Are you still there? I went back to Mark. Are you still in Acts? Go to Acts if you're not. Let's keep reading. Let's see here. Verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. What would have that been like? And while, verse 10, they looked steadfastly toward him, I bet they were looking steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This, is, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, there's something that is very important for you to see, because there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. They are not the same event. The second coming, it is just said that these, there's two angels that are saying, it's kind of like they just show up and these guys are, oh no, he's gone. And he is, it must have, I mean, it must have been crazy, right? Now, did you see he left in a cloud? Did you remember what we read in Mark chapter 13? When he comes again, he will come in a cloud. 
he's going to land feet on Mount Zion. In fact, we'll go to Zechariah chapter 14 probably later today, and we'll find he literally splits that mountain when he lands. He will come in exactly the same place that he is telling the disciples where he's going to come. Now, one thing I haven't probably been, this is just a little parenthesis, right? It just came to me that we need to be careful about. As the disciples are asking these questions of Jesus, they are seeing the kingdom of heaven. What is holding the kingdom of heaven from coming when Jesus was here the first time? The resistance from the Jewish nation. He speaks of it actually very honestly in Matthew chapter 23, verse 30. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, if you would have come to me, just as a mother hen would have gathered her chicks. But you would not. You will not see me until. You know what? when the until is? The end of the tribulation when he lands and they will see him for who he is. That seven-year period, I think we've got it up here. There's 70 weeks. We find that in Daniel. 77s. 70 weeks of seven. The first seven weeks, or I'm sorry, the 69 weeks have already taken place. That ended when Jesus Christ literally was, was turned over to be crucified. It tells us in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, we went there. Okay? At the end, we have been in a parenthesis for over 2,000 years. Why? Because the Jews have rejected it. The reason that you're here today, quite honestly, is because the Jews rejected Jesus. And then missionary work, the very things that Jesus has just told us to go to the uttermost part of the earth. I want you to think of the magnificence of that. Have you ever been in some a really what, a marketing meeting and they talk about sending, you know, and you're just going to tear the world down? Think of this. This is Jesus Christ speaking to 11 people. And he says, you guys are going to hit the trail and you're going to literally evangelize the entire world. Right. That's supposed to have been the deer in the headlights look, right? But you know what? That's exactly what's happened. Now, a couple weeks ago, we had Transworld Radio here. It's amazing what's happened in the sense of canvassing the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, going over walls that are communist-controlled, Muslim-controlled, that you, could, you and I could not have a conversation and live to see the sunset of a day with someone that is a Muslim. That's not legal. You can't talk about Christ. And yet, those radio waves can go in and literally share the gospel. That's what's happening in our world today. It's being canvassed. I was listening to a, a what was it? it wasn't a website, I guess. There was a, there's a, a guy in South Africa, Angus Buchan, B-U-C-A-N. You should Google it sometime. He's just a farmer. Got a hat on, he's got a belt buckle. He's, I don't know, he's probably 70-ish, probably, I'm thinking. And the guy, the, he got saved when he was 32. And the following is absolutely phenomenal. He, it's, it's not a church. There was, are you ready for this? Like in 2017, he's just praying, and God wanted him to evangelize, to just go out and preach the word. And his wife's Jill, they have five kids. They're out, I mean, they're out in, I, I'm going to say the bush, maybe that's not the right word, but I mean, they just built something out of nothing. And he calls himself just a farmer, and he is. Went through a lot of tragedies. But are you ready for this? These are things you don't get, that you don't hear on, the, on national news or whatever. There was 1.4 million people came to a prayer meeting. And you heard me correctly. 1.4 million people gathered on that site because he prayed before God, trusting for revival to take place. That's amazing. But our God is more amazing than that. But here's a man that trusted God just by faith. You know what? The same thing can happen when you trust God by faith in the sense of your impact on a world that needs to know about Jesus today. We've never had a world that needs to know more about Jesus than right now. Our world needs Jesus. And Jesus is talking about this time frame of when he's coming back. And we know it's at least 2,000 years. And the disciples, if, if he would have said, oh, guys, just relax. It's at least 2,000 years. They would have just, 
Oh, right. Oh, my goodness. I was thinking it was 20 hours, right? <laughs> and here we are. You know what? We're still looking for. Which coming are you looking for? I'm looking for the rapture. And there's no signs necessary for the rapture. We're right there. It could happen before I end this sentence. Oh, it didn't. <laughs> I was ready to go, too. <laughs> I was ready to go. <laughs> but the second coming, now, you literally do not want to be present on earth if you want to be an earth inhabitant when the second coming comes because he's coming in judgment. It's amazing the details we'll talk about today. The severity, the climax of, I would just say, of this ending of the transgression and how powerful Jesus will end it. It's, it's, it's totally overwhelming. But again, the rapture, Jesus meets us in the air. He does not come to earth. The, ra the second coming, separate, very distinct event, that's what he's talking about the disciples right now. And this whole chapters 24, 25, what we would call the Olivet Discourse, he's sitting on the side of the mountain, that's how it's got its name. In Matthew, those two chapters are the most robust. Okay? Mark and Luke add some sense of, and watch, well, we're, we're, we're in Mark, but those all together are literally what makes up the Olivet Discourse, speaking about his second coming. There's no picture of the rapture in there because he's talking to whom? Jews. This is the 70th week. That last week is what's remaining, and that week known to us is the tribulation. That has not happened yet. That has not begun. How does it begin? Scripture tells us in Daniel that it will, be, it will begin when there's a peace treaty made with the Jews and the Antichrist. He's going to protect them. He's going to give them what they wanted. And you know what? From all of this time frame, this parenthesis of 2,000 plus years has been the time of the Gentiles. Right? That's really it. They have overpowered the Jews. There's constant. You pick up any kind of a newspaper, anything, and there's a sense of disgust and I would just say overall scorn and get rid of the nation Israel. Get rid of the Jews, the true Jews. Okay? That's not going to end. It's going to get worse. The tribulation period is when God finds, that's, that's when he says, I want to work with the Jews again. Those are my chosen people. They then will be the the focal point of everything that takes place in those seven years of, I'm talking tragedy, climax of trouble, beyond our wildest imaginations, particularly. Now, there was a sign that he did. Last week we saw it. We started with it in chapter, chapter 13, verse 14 today. I read it for this reason. One of the signs of the end, the beginning of the end, was given to us in verse 14 of Mark chapter 13. Let's go back there for a moment. Mark chapter 13, verse 14. But when, now, oh, by the way, this the board, I'm glad it didn't get erased. Oh, there's some stuff that's gone. Um, Paul was, were you reading some of those things? There's, there's like, first of all, the one thing you got to be careful of, and by the way, this is so evident, deception. Deception. Our, I, I'm so concerned about our, our children, our grandkids, great-grandchildren, all of those kind of, you know what? The level of deception right now in our world is overpowering. The lack of attention to truth. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, woe unto them that says good is evil and evil is good. That's where we live today. There are those that literally don't even know the difference and are calling the opposite good of what it really is. So they've got deception. The other thing that you'd see an increase, now all of this is based on what Jesus said, birth pains, a labor a woman will go through prior to, to giving birth to a child. And we talk about that women, uh, there's, there's this you know, there's labor pains and become more intense and they get closer together. That's literally exactly the picture that Jesus is painting. For as we get closer and closer and closer to his second coming, it will be incredibly intense and painful. 
for those that are living on the earth. That last period is the tribulation. But then he gives a sign. He says, this is what, when you see this to those that are living at this time. Now, here's the other thing we got to be careful of. What he's telling the disciples is not just for them. It's really not even for us. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you won't be on the earth side at the second coming. You will be on the Jesus side coming. You're coming with him. So that's another thing. How could you go with him if you aren't with him? No, I said that wrong. How could you come, how could you come with him if you weren't with him? See, that doesn't even make any sense if you don't get it that way, right? I wonder if I should do this right now. No, we're not going to do that. But let's keep moving. We'll talk about this in a moment. The Jews are in focus, not talking about the rapture. He's talking about signs now that are for those that are living on the earth at this time. In other words, we talked about just uh, a fictional example is you had a dad, a mom, and I think I said three kids. And the dad comes home from work and there's nobody there. Huh, I wonder where they went. Cars here. Oh, they're just leaving their clothes laying around now. Look at that. Isn't that doesn't even seem right. <laughs> I thought she had that on this morning. Yeah, that's not bad. You got You know what's gonna hit them? May take a little bit, but there's nobody home. They don't come home. You know why? Because they went home, they went with Jesus. That's called the rapture. That's exactly what it would be like. We meet him in the air. Let's go to First Thessalonians. I just gotta go there. First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four. Let's go there for a second. I think we're gonna we're gonna spend just a little bit of time. Verse 13. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Oh, let me see. Maybe we'll start somewhere else. That'll work. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, are dead, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, let me stop there for just a moment. One of the reasons that, that Paul wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica was, there was, there was he was getting word back that there were those that thought they had missed the coming of Jesus Christ. Or the ones that would have died prior to his coming back, where does that leave us? Are them that have passed on. So he's giving hope. He's giving some sense of assurance. So let's keep going now. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, which we do, even so them also which sleep are dead in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them on Mount Olive. No, in the clouds. We're meeting him in the air. That's the rapture. That's the catching away. Now, let's look at this for a moment. Even John chapter 14, verse 6. John 14, or let's go to John 14. Let's do that. John 14. Now, Jesus, this would be the same time frame of the same Passion Week. He's visiting with his disciples. And he says in verse 14, well, actually, boy, we should, ah, I can't do that, though. It'll take too much time. But if, just for yourself, go back and look at verses 31 through 38 of John chapter 13. He's talking about his departure. 
and it really upsets the disciples. Okay, Read that on your own. But chapter 14, verse 1, he responds this way. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, or since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Okay? He's coming for us so that we can go with him at the second coming. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 19. Actually, on your way through, go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Revelation 3.10. It says this, uh, this is this is letters to the churches that Jesus spoke in the first part of Revelation. All of this is about the church. And all of a sudden, at the end of chapter 3, guess what's not there for a whole lot of chapters? The church. It's not there. But look at verse 10. Chapter 3 of Revelation. Because thou hast, he's speaking to the church at Philadelphia, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation or the hour of trial, the hour of all of the, the, the intense persecution. That's not the right word. Intense tribulation. There we go. Now let's turn to uh, uh, Revelation 19. Revelation 19. I want you to watch this now, and it just makes good sense. Revelation chapter 19, and we'll start in verse 7. Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. Who's the Lamb? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And his wife, who's the wife? Hath made her, the church, okay? She hath made herself ready. Now watch, verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Keep that in mind. Just hold that in, in, your, in your mind. Let's go down to verse 11. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he says, Judge and make war. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. Literally, this is the revelation picture of Jesus Christ coming the second time. This is his second advent. Verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Remember John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Word of God. Verse 13. No, verse 14. Now watch this. And the armies which were in heaven, mark that, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. What have we just described? We've described the church. Where is the church? It's coming with Jesus on the second coming. It's right there in, in Revelation chapter 19. Right there. Now watch. And out of his mouth goes, verse 15, a sharp sword that with it he shall smite the, the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He shall tread at the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then if you read the next several verses, I'll leave that to you. It literally is that battle of Armageddon. This is the end of the second, I should say, this is the end, which is the second coming. He literally comes to earth on the Mount of Olives. It splits, if you will. Literally, that mountain splits when he lands on it. And he's coming with the saints. He's coming with angels. He's coming with the saints. He's coming with the tribulation saints. He's coming with those that were martyred and were, and were dead during the tribulation. They are coming with him to judge the world. 
Now, anyone that's living that has still, that, that has not died, that has not been killed, that has not been martyred, trust me, those last three and a half years are unbelievable. But there will be many, many that will not have, and you know what, you know why? Because God said, unless I shorten the days, unless I didn't, unless I shorten the days, no one would live. No one. But they will take those that have trusted Christ, same way everybody else does, trusted God, they are the ones that physically will go into the millennial age. Thousand years of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. Now, believe this or not, at the end of a thousand years of Jesus Christ being the full king, the, a full-blown theocracy, there's no Satan. Where's he at? Chapter 20, he's in the pit. Put him in the bottom. I wish he would be in the bottomless pit right now. <laughs> but his day's coming. And then actually the bottomless pit to him will look great because he's living to go to an everlasting hell, a fire, lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. That's where he's going to go. And I, it bothers me when you see these little cartoons. And it looks, makes it look like he's in charge in hell. Oh, no. No, he's not in charge of anything except punishment eternally. Forever. Wow. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I know. I didn't, I didn't finish my thought. But go ahead. Armageddon. Yes. Well, there's another battle at the end, right? Yes. Okay. It's not even a battle, honest. Okay. Yeah, it's, because now the, the battle of Armageddon is, I, I can't even do it justice. It's hard for you to even get a picture of the level of devastation and just, just life loss. They're talking about blood to the level of horses' bridles. 200 mile long, 1,600 furlongs. I can't, I, I can't get that. Now, that battle, the Battle of Armageddon, is at the very end of the tribulation. Okay? That's when Jesus Christ comes, and judgment is on everything on the earth at that point. Then those that have not taken the mark of the beast, if you've taken the mark of the beast, you are going, you're done. Now, there's a second, there's a second resurrection. You don't want to be at that one either. You want to be at the first one. The second one is the one where literally you're... you're you are resurrected into an everlasting punishment in hell. Okay? You don't want to be at that one. Those that have not trusted Christ have taken the mark of the beast. They then will be set up for the everlasting punishment. But those that have not taken the mark of the beast, which I would find that to be incredibly difficult to even live in the tribulation period without having some... You, you know if you follow what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know how they're doing it. But at any rate, there's enough that literally they go in and they began the population of the millennium. Now, again, these people have not physically died, which means they're still physically here and there will still be families now that will be raised, that will, you know, their marriage and, and children will continue to go on. Life will last a lot longer. hundred years will look like a kid. That's what the scripture says. So for a thousand years, I mean, a thousand years, a thousand years, it's 2022, go a thousand years back. How many were you here? That's like 1022. There's been a few things going on since then. But think of that. No, no, Satan is not around. He's locked up for a thousand years. A thousand years of righteousness ruling and reigning. And at the end of that, Satan is released for what it says a very short. In fact, let's read it. Let's just read it. This is after the second coming. This is the millennium. So let's just take, let's just take Revelation chapter 20. Here we are. 
I saw an angel, verse 1, come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, again, if you've trusted Christ, you're not only coming with Jesus Christ at his second coming, you're also ruling and reigning with him during the millennium reign. Okay? There are those people that physically will be carrying on in marriage. They will have children. Now, those children born in the millennium, they have to make a decision with Jesus Christ being the rule and reigner. This is, to me, is the last excuse taken away. Uh, you know people that have said the same thing. You know, really, if I would have had a when raised in a Christian family, if I had not been in, on the wrong side of the tracks, if I would have had the right environment, I would have been a Christian. But literally, I got started wrong. Here I am. There's nothing I can do. This will be the last excuse taken away. For a thousand years... Everything is as good as you could possibly make it. And at the very end, Satan is released for just a little bit. Let's watch it. Let's keep going. When the thousand years are expired, verse 7, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to... Did you see he's going to do the same thing? It's like, how dumb are we? It's the same deal. Deceit, deception, all of the time. Satan will be loosed out of his prison. He shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up to the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the, of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That's not even a battle. It's over. It's done. But I can't believe that. Literally, it says as the sand of the sea. There's so many people that fall after Satan after him being released for just a little bit. You know, you really can't trust God. This Jesus guy, that's in, he's not looking out for your best. I can tell you right now, he's not taking care of you. And it's always been the same thing. It's the battle of you, self. Self has been on the throne since Adam and Eve let sin onto this planet, literally. It's been there. It's still there. It's the number one issue in our world today. And it will be the last thing to be cast out. And after that, it is brand new. There is no more anything having to do with sin because that's the end of the end of the end. But that's a thousand years after what we're talking about here in Mark chapter 13. We're talking about the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Again, it's Jewish in nature because the last week that Daniel talks about, the 70th week, it begins at the beginning of the week of the tribulation, that week, trouble of the Jews. And it, it, it is going to be trouble. It takes that for the Jews to literally see Jesus for who he is. The, I don't know what the percentage is, but those that trust Jesus Christ as Savior today, the Messianic Jews, it is so small. It is so small. There's just a very small remnant. But that day... Now, it says in Zechariah that two-thirds of the Jews will be wiped out. There will be one-third left, and all of those one-third will literally be saved. That's what it's talking about in Romans chapter 11. The remnant will all be saved. It's the ones that are left, literally, that will be saved, and they will see Jesus for who He is. Zechariah, they finally will weep for their Messiah. They will see Him for who He is at His second coming. As He lands, they say, there He is. That's our Messiah. Fantastic stuff. Now, there was a sign. That was a little bit of a... A little bit of a detour, wasn't it? Uh, Mark chapter 13, 
He's answering that question to the disciples. When will he know? What's the sign? Now, well, one of the first things that will happen is when you see this, run for the hills. We saw it in verse 14 of chapter 13 of Mark. It says this. But when you shall see, that's exactly right, when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not. Okay? And then it says, we talked about this last week. And if you have red letter, in other words, Jesus' words are in red letter, that isn't. It says, let him that readeth understand. Let's come back to our family of which dad is home alone. You know, there's home alone. That's home alone. <laughs> but you know, one thing that's going to happen is, is the Holy Spirit living within the believers, which it talks about the restrainer. We talked about that. The Holy Spirit is living in believers today, right? If you've trusted Christ as Savior, Holy Spirit lives within you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. If you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. When all of the Christians leave in the rapture, who goes with? Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is bound by a Christian. I'm not trying to say that. But it does tell us very clearly that the restrainer, the one that is holding back sin, and if, if you took the Holy Spirit out of the world today, how would you like that place? Woof! Woofy! Oh, my goodness. And that's what this is going to look like. That's what that tribulation the last week is going to look like. Because when he catches away, the restrainer is no longer restraining. They're gone. But you know what is left behind? The Bible. The Bible. I think the Bible will be very, very well read. Because what do you think about it? Let's call our guy. Can I go with Joe? Jack. We'll call him Jack. I don't know many Jacks. But that's not right. Call him just, just whatever. And he's saying, after two days, they're not home. There's nobody home. Police report. And he, now, there's been a spin going on that there was aliens that actually landed and took a lot of people. We don't know what happened, but it was just, it was crazy. But by the way, we've noticed that the people that were taken, I think we're going to be better off without them. Because a lot of them, you know, we don't have to bother with churches anymore. It looks like those are empty. For the most part, actually, I got to think about that. There'd be a lot of churches that would be just functioning going on because they left Jesus out too, didn't they? Yeah. Right? But the point of the matter is, is the people they're saying are gone, they were people that really, they were kind of, I know, kind of preachy. They were kind of religious. They were kind of, we, we don't need those people. But you know what? Joe doesn't have his wife and his three kids. You know where he's going to go? Because his wife, Jill, says, honey, the Bible says a lot about sin. And it says that you have to be saved. You have to be saved. What do you think Joe's doing in the quiet of that night when nobody's there? I wonder where that was at. I've got to start somewhere. You know what? That's when it says the reader. Who is going to read this? It wasn't the disciples. Jesus is giving these words literally for those that are living in the tribulation times. They're going to be able to pick up this word of God. They're going to say, that's what happened. That's where we're at. And it's all of a sudden going to make more sense than ever could have even been imagined. And that's what's going to get them to the tribulation is the word of God. I can't tell you how difficult that's going to be because if our Joe didn't get it done on this side of grace, how difficult will it be on the other side? It will be insane. That's right. There will be. We talked about that last week. There will be those that will be preaching the gospel, 144,000. There's 12,000. And again, tribulation is very, very, very much. Today in the parentheses, what we call the grace age, the age of grace, Right? That's what we're at. I tell you, if I was going to choose an age to be in, I want this one. I want this one. I want this one, right? Absolutely, because Jesus Christ is just laying it out there. He died for us. He was buried. He rose again. The guarantee is done. And there it is. 
Just receive it by faith. The tribulation is Jewish in nature. Yes, there will be Gentiles left behind, but no longer is God focusing on Gentiles. Yes, you'll come the same way, but it's all about the Jew. It's very focused on the Jew. That's what the last week of Daniel, the, the, the 70th week of Daniel is about. But thinking about this, abominate, this desol, abomination of desolation, that happens midstream, three and a half years in. It's very apparent now. This is the sign, he says, when those living, those that are reading this, those that see the abomination of desolation, literally, what is that? In the temple that will be rebuilt. Today, the Jews do not have a temple in Jerusalem. That, to me, is where it starts, the tribulation period. is literally when that Antichrist will say, I'll tell you what, folks, I'm here for you. You guys have been maligned. You've been taken advantage of. You've got materials. And by the way, did you know that they're actually assembling materials for that third temple? I'm calling it the third temple. It's amazing how much stuff has been gathered up for that. And he said, you know what? I'm going to make a deal. I'm going to let you have peace. I'm going to guarantee peace. I'm going to take care of your neighbors. I'm going to take your, this is, this is going to be your place. Go ahead and get started on that. Get that thing built. And I'm wondering how far after they get it built. He said, you know what? That's it. I am God. I am in there. No longer is there anybody worship on this planet except me. That is the abomination of desolation. And then what we read last week, run for the hills. We read it today. I mean, you can't get away from, from civilization any faster than you, as fast as you can, because it's all out horror on earth. Not only being poured out from God, which on the side, remember, we had seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Whew. The, 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 uh, the trumpets and bowls, that's going to be the last half of the, sec of the tribulation. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But when you see that, that's the sign of the beginning of the end. Now, he tells us today, now let's go back to these last three. Do you, do you realize that we've reviewed all of this time? What, uh, Jesus was teaching this to the disciples. Why did you spend so much time talking about this? Because they probably, they wouldn't be there with the second coming. And how much time should we spend dwelling on the second coming when we're not, when we're not going to be dealing with that. That's a really good question, isn't it? Really is a good question. Now, interesting part, as we un let's not, it's going to take a little while to unpack that, but it's interesting that Jesus said an awful lot about his second coming. There's a lot. And this, this, this two chapters in Matthew, particularly all that discourse, literally it took, it's the longest answer to a question of any of the disciples ever. Usually they ask a question and boom, and they have to think about it for days because it's so deep. This one here on answering the second coming and when this will come. I think there's several things involved here from the disciples' standpoint. Yeah, they aren't going to be here, but they didn't know that. He's unfolding and unpacking something that they would see parts of. Remember the A.D. 70 when the temple was destroyed? They actually, some of them would have seen that. And that was, Jesus was so right, right? And it's amazing. He's foretelling history. It's exactly what's going to happen. Okay? Now, for us, how much time should we, in fact, I think even the audiences that are spoken of in this passage in Mark, one of which they're talking about those that are living in the tribulation, these are signs for you. If you're in the tribulation, these are what you will see. For us in the church, <laughs> we shouldn't see those. If you see those, you weren't a Christian. That's all I can tell you, right? Okay? How much time should we spend on it? Well, one of the things it really should do for us is you unpack all of the future judgment, all of that. It should show us the need for Jesus Christ in people's lives. 
We need to do exactly what Jesus, in fact, in fact, in fact, in fact, I think what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, which we read, remember what he said? Hey, G, is this the time for the kingdom? Is this, is this it? Shall we, shall we sit on the roofs and wait for you to come? You, their people have done that. They thought they had the rapture all figured out. They got in white robes, you know, they went white linen and sat on the roof and they had it figured out. And, and eventually they come off the roof. They were, they were spending time on things that really weren't what Jesus said to spend time on. Now, it says, in fact, let's read this one. Let's go to Mark chapter 13. And we're, we're jumping ahead a bit. Verse 32. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. Okay? From our perspective, that's really written to us. We, we shouldn't be spending any time trying to figure out the day, the hour, the week, the month, the year. There's, there's no point. That's a complete waste of time. But he goes on to say in the latter part, we will get to it in a, in a few more weeks, is we are to watch and pray. I'll tell you what, if we as Christians watched and prayed, oh, that would be the best thing we could possibly do. In other words, the second coming, Paul, coming back to your question, the more we know about that, the more it should want us to watch and pray because it's coming. That is going to come. And the more people that know about Jesus on this side and the grace side, oh, right? If you could. The urgency to spread the gospel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, these birth pains right now taking place? Oh, they're closer. The baby's coming, right? We better go to the hospital, right? That is literally where I think we are in the world today. A little more intense, a little closer. Earthquakes. There's a half a million a year right now across the United States. I'm sorry, across the world that are actually being registered on the uh, Richter scale. A half a million earthquakes a year and going up. Going up. It should, the urgency of it should drive us to do it. How much time should, do we need to spend about prophecy? The more we talk about, and he's, Jesus spent a lot of long time. The Bible's full of prophecies. And it was even more, if you step back in the sense of the Old Testament saints, even Jesus' coming was prophecy. It was important they talked about that. It's important that we talk about our hope, our future, and the fact that, you know what? There is a time in which we will be in an eternal state because Jesus will come back and he will judge sin and the millennium will happen. And at the end of that, it's over. And we are his forever and ever and ever. So there's, there's hope in that for us, even though we won't be there. But allows us to see the urgency. I'm going to come back to that again. There should be an urgency that it causes within us to be about the business of the kingdom. I'm not planning to be here. The more that I can know about it, the more dedicated, the more focused I am on what Jesus has done for us. Does that help? Now, there are, there are those that are just totally, I mean, just immersed in prophecy for prophecy's sake. You understand what I say? But let me, let, me, let me try to maybe make that a little bit clearer. In other words, yeah, Jesus Christ came and he died and he... But, I just, I just, I got to know what that says about just for the sake of knowing that. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. There's a lot of things in Revelation still I don't know. Now, there's a lot of things since I was a little kid that make a whole lot of sense today. The mark of the beast, poof, that could happen any second. Probably is. You know, you got, you got RFDs, you got chips, you got all kinds of ways to literally Im, uh, invisibly give you identification that no one can steal Today. Like I said, Second Corinthians, that's one that just keeps ringing in my mind over the last several months. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. 
that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. You know, we know the dark side. We know immoralities and adult, adultery and pornography and abortions and all of that dark side. The ones that are really, and this is on the deception which will heighten, is how he comes as an angel of light. There are numerous cults today that say they're worshiping God and said that they saw an angel of light. That doesn't prove anything. What does the word of God say about it? That's the bottom line. That's the absolute standard of truth. Not what somebody saw, not what somebody felt, somebody thought or thought. It just doesn't matter. Satan can appear as an angel of light, which is a scary thought, isn't it? It really is. The dude is flat slippery. And you saw he was trapped in a bottomless pit because he was deceiving the nations. He's released. What does he do instantly? Deceives the nations. What's he doing in America? He's deceiving the nation. What's he doing in churches? He's deceiving the church. Ah, right? So diabolical. I don't even know if we were on your question anymore. We kind of moved off. Well, like I say, did, um, we're not going to be here. Right. But do we, do, we teach, do we teach that to non-believers? Or do we teach that as part of our, our ministry? I, I, you know, I, I really do believe that yeah. the number one mission is just preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. Okay? But the further that we see and we unpack what was actually prophesied and what's come true gives us even more truth in the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, plus the fact the future is really foretold history. It's not going to be missed. And it gives, it gives hope to me. Yeah. It gives hope. To, I, I mean, I get up in the morning, and, and did, you, did you have a couple of mornings this week that would look really a little rough by the evening? Oh, I was like, really? Does it have to go that badly? Do you know what? It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That's all temporal stuff. What happens is at the end of the book, we win. We win. And that's prophecy. That's history foretold by Jesus. And Jesus is sitting on this. I just think that's so cool. They're sitting, they're sitting on Mount Olives, right? And they're having this discussion. It's got to be twilight. It's got to be late because it's been a long day. And they're asking all these questions. Jesus still takes time. This is really, really important. This is another thing I think is really focused for us. How many times do you guys feel really tired, really wore out, and you just can't? Oh, do I have to? Yes, you do. Yeah, that's the moment that that person needs to hear from you. That question that that, that little kid, that little whoever, a grandson, grand, a cousin, a nephew, a brother, a sister, a wife, a husband, whatever. You know what? Deal with that. Jesus took that time sitting on the mountain where he's going to land, probably a little over... <laughs> I think it's closer than we think. Because you can see the spiral, right? You can see this whole sense of this whole one-worldness, right? That's almost like the recoming of the Tower of Babel, remember? The whole world got together, they had one language, and they're going to build this, and they're going to do without God, they're going to become their own God. What did he do? He just changed the languages. We're going to come to a point he's going to say, that's it. That's enough. It's over. Second coming is going to happen. And the more we know about that, the clearer our present becomes. Again, I don't think we dwell on it to dwell on it. I don't know if I can say that quite right. I'm hoping I'm making that clear. Prophecy in the, in the Word of God, no matter what it is, is profitable for us, right? It is. It really, really is. But if we're doing it just to have an edge on knowing something that no one else knows, don't bother. That's not impressive. But if we're doing it because it, it, give, it adds to the sense of our robustness and hope and also gives our message even more sense of urgency. See, I read, I read, I read in Revelation. I just come away. I say, boy, I would want anybody to miss that. Let's find Jesus now. 
That's why we, that's why we fund Transworld Radio. That's why we fund missionaries. That's why we, to, to get the word out to canvas it. I want to come back to what Ernie said too. There, there are three ways in which canva, the, the, the gospel will be canvassed. The world, the 144,000, I know how we got off on track on that, was the, the Jewish uh, focus. 12,000 of each one of those tribes. So they're going to be literally evangelizing not only Israel, but the world, primarily, again, focuses on the Jews. Then there's the two witnesses. Two witnesses. And they actually, it's going to be an amazing amount of publicity because they will come and the Antichrist will kill them. They'll come back to life. <laughs> That'll be interesting. Do you think their message will be believed? Probably. And then the other thing that will happen is at the very end, angels, we read it a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week, Angels will really be proclaiming the message to all people across this world. I mean, it's going to be so clear. And you need to make your choice right then. You take the mark of the beast, you're done. If you don't take the mark of the beast, you trust God, it's good. That, that's literally the last sense of evangelization in the tribulation, which will be in the last half of the tribulation. God's word will still be, off, is still be prevalent. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Okay. Any other questions? Okay, let's go back to Mark chapter 13. And we talked about, actually, we haven't talked about anything, have we? We've just been reviewing. <laughs> Talking. We're still reviewing, aren't we? Okay. Anyway, yeah, in fact, okay, I think I know I can tie this up yet. Okay. The abomination of desolation, that's the beginning. Of, and he's saying, this is the first sign now Jesus has said in this whole answer. When you see that, you know it's the end, or it's the beginning of the end. Watch out. Run. In fact, let's look at some of those terms that he uses. This would be in Mark chapter 13. And let's take a look here. Verse 15. After you see that, let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither therein take, or take anything out of the house. Let him that is in the field not turn back, just take off. Woe unto them with child that are pregnant or have young children and pray that your flight's not in winter. Just go, get, hide, take away, right? That's when you see that. But now, what happens then? How do we know? What's at the end? What's he talking about? Let's go to verse 24. This is the signal. This is the continuing sequence, if you will. Verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation, after that tribulation, after the abomination of desolation, after all of these things that are, it's just going to get crazy. Here's the mark. Here's something that happens. The sun shall be darkened. The moon shall not give her light. The stars of heaven shall fall. The powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. That, those two verses, I'm not sure how to even describe that. Honestly, I mean, I was, I was thinking about trying to do this, but it, it won't do any good, right? So I shut the lights off. Not a big deal. I'm talking pitch black. There is no sun. Now think of this. Every day that you have woken up, there has been a day and a night. Correct? Right there, there is no day and night. There is no light. That can't go on very long. But when that happens, yeah, you've got all kinds of issues. Nothing will grow. It's cold. Talk about having and eating a parka. And then who would know? If you've been, I remember it was last winter when I got really, really sick. Yeah, it was light. It was, it was night. It was day. I really couldn't tell you if it was day or night. 
I didn't know. It was, I was that out of it. But to think there's no sun. I mean, the last few nights, if you notice the, the full moon, or it's close, it is, it is magnificent. I mean, the reason you see it is why? Because there's a sun. No sun, no light. No light, no moon. Now, the stars will even be darkened. Can you imagine that? I, I don't know if you can get that. That's getting close to hell now. Outer darkness. What a wreck, right? I mean, I can't. Now, here's, here's the part. It's like everything is flying apart. All of the things that people are, you know, you can put a, a satellite into space, and it's so amazingly predictable that scientists, what are those guys named that look at stars? How come I can't think of it? Astronomers. You know what? It's so predictable. Gravity and lunar travel and all of that stuff is so predictable. They can tell where that's going to be at such and such a day. All of it, you know what? None of that will happen. There will be every sense of chaos. In fact, well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hold your place. We'll be right back. Hebrews chapter 1. This is why it is what it is today. God, verse 1, chapter 1 of Hebrews. God, who in sundry times and in divers or various manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. This is chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 1 and 2. Hath in these last days, verse 2, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the power, I'm sorry, by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God on high. You know who holds all things together right now? God does, Jesus Christ. The reason we can even sit in this chair is because... He's holding things just the way he made them. For this appointed period of time, which no man knows, at the after the tribulation, this would be after the tribulation. I don't know, is it days? Is it a few hours? I don't know. No one knows. Everything is completely crazy. I can't describe it for you. I really can't. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, it did turn dark. That's right. That's right. For three hours at noon. Noon to three. Black. Yeah. Yep. I, I've, tried, I've tried to help understand that. I can't do it. It's just, it's, it's so upsetting. In fact, that's what the next point I want you to see. Let's take a look now. Let's keep reading. Actually, we have to go to, let's go back to Matthew for a moment then, or Luke. Luke, Luke chapter 21. Let's go to Luke chapter 21, and let's look at how the people respond to that. Luke chapter 21, and let's see, verse 25. Let's start there. Luke 21, 25. And there shall be signs in the sun, Luke 21, 25, and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Now, just a minute. Think of the tides. <laughs> think of the tsunamis. Think of the earthquake. See, see, see all, everything that you think, that everything you've been taught, everything that's fixed is no longer fixed. How is that working for you? Keep going. Men, this is men, first, verse 26, Luke chapter 21. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. That word actually in the Greek means that they are literally have you heard this term? Oh, 
I was scared to death. That's actually from that verse. And they literally are so terrorized, so frightened that their hearts melt. That's the term that's used in Isaiah. In fact, let's look at a couple of those passages. This is not new information, actually. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 13. Let's do a little bit of uh, New Old Testament study. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 13. These would be things that the, that the disciples would even have been taught in. Isaiah chapter 13. And let's take a look at verse 10. Verse 10. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity, and will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Whoa. We could go on. Joel chapter 2. Write that one down in your notes. Joel chapter 2, verses 10, 30, and 31 talks about the sun dark. In fact, Peter used that at the first, remember the sermon at, at uh, Pentecost? That was actually, we got to go there. Joel, let's see if you can find Joel. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel is being evasive. Dun, 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 dun. Where'd it go here? Come on, it's got to be right there by Amos, isn't it? Oh, Obadiah is after, right? Yeah. Okay, I'll get it. There we go. Nope. Close. Right in between. It's like glued together here. Okay, here we go. Sorry for the delay. Joel chapter 2, and look at verse 10. This is a prophecy that Joel was given in the Old Testament. It says, The earth shall quake. Before them, the heaven shall tremble, the sun and moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Oh, whoa. Verse 30. Turn down to verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. Ooh. That's a picture, isn't it? Have you noticed? We've, we've read that in a lot, a lot of places. That is going to happen. That is going to happen. <laughs> Get those headlamps for Bible lights. There you go, Bible lights. Let's see, where, did I have any Isaiah? Let's go to chapter 13, verse 8. I think I should have read that verse and I didn't. Isaiah chapter 13. Yeah, there it is. I mean, I'm sorry, I missed it. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 8, talking about people that literally are scared, are terrorized to where they actually lose their life. Verse 8, they shall be afraid, chapter 13 of Isaiah, they shall be afraid, pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them, they shall be in pain as women that travaileth, they shall be amazed, one another faces shall be as flames. The shock that will take place isn't even describable. Does it? That's what I was looking for? Let me try it. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you, because I couldn't quite get where I wanted to be. Now I can't even find Isaiah again. Okay, 13 and verse 7, you said? Okay. Therefore shall all hands be made faint, and every man's heart shall melt. <laughs> That's exactly. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been afraid? Yes. Everyone's been afraid for something, for some reason, at some time. I don't know what, what you could even call this. I, I don't know what you would be. I mean, it would, there's nothing to depend on. There's nothing that's fixed. There's nothing that's it's orderly. It's just completely, com I, I just don't even know. 
you know, nothing would work. Communications, all of these neat little things we have, cell phones, all, that's all, that's, that's, that's gone. How could that possibly work? You have everything just disintegrating. And you know who's still in charge? God is. That's when Jesus comes. That is the sign now, the son of the man coming in clouds. Now think of this. This is why it says every man will see him. Every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. So think about how dark everything is. No sun, no moon. Guess who shows up in the light? Because he is light. Jesus Christ. In fact, this is the sign. This is the one of his coming. This is really answering the question right here in verse 26. Back in Mark. Let's go to Mark chapter 13. They shall see. And then, as dark as it could possibly be, as messed up as the world could be, literally people are dying from fright. Then in verse 26, then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. With great power and glory. What will that look like? That will be amazing. We're coming with him. Yeah. We're not going to him. We've already went to him. We were caught. We went through all of that. The rapture is literally being caught up with him. That's how we come with him. You must go to him before you can come with him. That is going to be something else. There's no word with that. No. 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 Because literally, what's the difference between us and them? They're going to be judged. It's not us, it's Jesus. That's why, that's what it's all about. This is all about preach Jesus. Preach Jesus, preach Jesus, preach Jesus. Because we're no different. Absolutely not. I, you, right, you let your minds wander. You can't even get there, can you? It's so magnificent, this picture that's in my mind. This vividness of everything being dark. And, and you know, for what period of time, we don't know. We don't know. But if you go to the book of Daniel, he adds 30 and even as much as... 75 days between the end, the 1260 days, which would be the tribulation period, three and a half months, 42 months, all of that. It's three and a half years, but then he adds to the sense another 30 to 75 days. Somewhere in that time frame is when I think this happens, and nobody knows that time. I don't know, but I tell you this, it cannot be like that very long. It can't be. It just cannot be. But I'll tell you what, getting attention of people, they will he will have their attention. And then out of nowhere, poof, is the Son of Man on a cloud, in light, in splendor, in glory, in power. That's my Jesus. We'll be with him. We'll be with him. Let's go to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Verse 6, again, this is a passage that Zechariah was given for a prophecy about the second coming to Jerusalem. It says, verse 6, it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be, shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. See, I think Jesus is coming back in evening, even though no one would know what the evening looks like. 
And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In the summer and the winter shall, shall it be. The Lord shall be king over all of the earth. And that day shall there be one Lord and his name shall be one. The land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate from the, from the tower of Haniel unto the king's wine presses. The men shall dwell in it. There shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And it goes on to talk about everything that's taking place after his second coming. But look at this. There's something that, remember Peter, who was, remember we talked about this in Matthew? Well, maybe it wasn't. We looked at the transfiguration. You remember that session? It's been a while, while ago. They're watching and they literally see Jesus' majesty, seeing his glory, if you will. Peter spoke of it in his epistle. Let's go to, uh, um, let's see, where's that at? Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. I think it's there. We'll find it. 2 Peter chapter 1. And he makes reference to it. But this, you're going to see the full-blown glory of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. 2 Peter 1, 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we, have, when we made known unto you the power of and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. They saw in that transfiguration when they were there, just seeing a little bit of the glory that Jesus had. When He comes the second time, it is full-blown, wide open. Everything that He ever was that He can't even show to us at this point. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Revelation 1, 7. Here's a verse, Revelation 1-7. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Do you see that clouds again? Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Every eye will see him when he comes. Every eye will see him. <laughs> I think... Do you see why I said this is true climate change? <laughs> this is the one they should be concerned about. <laughs> and that really should be our message. You want to talk about, I, actually, I've got, this has just been opening for me the last 48 hours. You know what? I'd like to talk about climate change with you. I really would. I think it's the number one issue. It should be in your life. Because if you don't get Jesus in your life, you are going to have a significant climate change coming at you. <laughs> It really, I mean, yeah. it just kind of gave me climate change. You know what? You're, you are onto something, and the Bible talks about it. And, you know, now they don't know if they want to talk about it, right, because you don't want to know what's in the Bible. But literally, literally, the Bible has a lot to say about it. You can go to Mark chapter 13, and you can say, you want to see climate change? That, my friend, is climate change. And you know why that's happening? Because you miss Jesus. But you can get away from climate change. You don't have to spend any money. You don't have to do anything to try to fix one millisecond of your life. Literally, you trust Jesus Christ and you will not have the ultimate climate change. Amen. How did that preach? That wasn't bad, was it? That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> but isn't that what we need? Isn't that what the world needs? Isn't that what the world needs? And you see how Satan has devised and deceived that whole thing? Now that, my friends, what we just described, that's climate change. <laughs> That's climate change. And here's the other deal. You know, because Jesus, because God said it's going to be there at that time in that frame, 
There is no man, there is no power, there is nothing of any kind sort of thing that can change what that world will be at that time for God to do what he needs to do. See, that's how strong our God is. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That verse just takes, it just takes away so much ammunition from the enemy. When you know there's a creator, you're responsible, and he's in charge. That fixes everything. Fixes everything. So we looked at the signal, basically, after the tribulation. We've looked at the setup. Talk about a setup for Jesus coming. So you talk about you talk about a setup. That climate change, and then Jesus appears, every eye will see him. See, today it's so easy for Jesus to just blend in. I think if Jesus just popped right down, I don't know, we're, we're, just go ahead and have another Bethlehem. They'd miss him again. They'd miss him. They're so busy. There's so much other stuff. When you have the sun gone and the moon gone and the stars gone, and then poof, there he is. Whew. <laughs> but here's the, here's the scary part. Those that have not trusted Christ and seeing him at the second time, it's too late. It's too late because he's coming in judgment. He's coming to end the transgression. That's what Daniel says in chapter 9. Even more important, as Paul has asked that question, that should drive us to making sure we share our lives and the gospel of Jesus Christ to every single person. I've heard it said people say, well, I'll just wait till after the rapture and then I'll trust in the Lord. That's not a good idea. That's a really bad idea. That is a super bad idea. Because, you know, I just say it this way. We're living on the side of grace. The Holy Spirit is here living within Christians. He's restraining evil. Again, I just can't. That to me right there, you talk about a massive change in the sense of the deluge of evil. And I'm even astounded at America, what's happened the last couple of years, two, three years, whatever it is, when we started taking prayer out of the schools. You know, of course, it came out of the schools because it was out of the homes and Bible reading. You know, all of that, it's just, it's just been this. And I'm telling you what, it's been an explosion in the last few weeks. Well, maybe even the last few weeks, too, but in the last few years. Isn't it amazing what we're trying to teach our kids? I mean, we don't, biologically, we don't even know who we are, right? I can't even get it. I, I just can't. And you know what? Just imagine if there was no church here. And what I mean is, is the believers. I'm not saying a building. I'm, I'm talking about the believers that have the Holy Spirit living within them. And he purchased, right? You take that away. How bad could this place be? It will be that bad. So that person, Ernie, like you said, someone that says, yeah, I'll just wait until after rapture, then I know it was true, and then I'll trust him. I don't think so. The Bible says there's going to be a strong delusion. There is. To those, particularly to those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in fact, today there's people that, that I... They just won't believe. They've chosen not to believe. And it is so strong. I just see the strength of deception even. And that's what Jesus talked about in this passage particularly. I've never seen so many people deceived as today. It's amazing. The truth is so hard to find. There's a famine in this land. Currently, it's not food as much as it probably will be. There's a famine for truth. There's a famine for truth. Was too literal. Excellent. <laughs> ah, oof, oof. <laughs> Keep preaching, Jesus. <laughs> uh, literally, literally, Jesus is coming 
again. That's what I know. Literally, he is coming again. And he's going to hit the Mount of Olives, and that baby's going to split. And it's over. It's done with. Yeah. But, uh, but it's the time of... In fact, that reminds me of... Uh, let me see if I can think of that for a moment. Before we do... That's okay. Um, where is that at? Let's go to Timothy. You guys head for Timothy. Um, I think. Yeah, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. See if this doesn't line up with where we're at. This was written a long time ago. This was toward the end of Paul's life. Last letter he wrote to the one he was mentoring, Timothy. Chapter 3, it says this. Verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. What do you think? <laughs> Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Does that sound like the last times, the last days? <laughs> two, two, just right down the line, right? Now he's referencing this to prayer to the rapture, not, not in the tribulation. Correct. This would be the last. This is just, this is and literally, oh, let's talk about that for, for just a second. Um, the last days, it talks about the last days or the end times. Literally, after Jesus Christ left, that was the beginning of the end times, quite honestly. That whole frame in which we're in right now. Now, Jesus' second coming, the second advent, that is at the end of the tribulation. The rapture is at the beginning of the tribulation. Two very distinct separations. But this here, Paul, literally, he's, taking, he's saying to Timothy, you know what, as we, get, as we get closer to the end, I mean, the last day, that's what it's going to look like. We're right there. We're right there. I don't even know. What would you take out of there that isn't, I mean, it's, it's all right there. Oof. Let's take a look at, uh, let's see, we read that. My notes really aren't very helpful today, quite honestly. Did we go to Zechariah chapter 14? Okay. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just check one thing. I think I want to go, we might go back there one more time to chapter... Yeah, let's go, let's go to Zechariah chapter 14. We're going to go 1 through 4. I, I didn't jump in quite early enough. Here we go. Behold, verse 14, uh, chapter 14, Zechariah, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city." Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when we, he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave or split in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north and half of it toward the south. That is literally what's going to happen when Jesus comes at second coming. As he lands on the place that he was sitting and teaching his disciples on the night that he's, he's two days away from being crucified. Isn't it amazing how this just all fits together? Just, ah, it's so rich, so rich. 
So what does this do for us? We've read this today. I haven't done a very good job of describing. I, I just don't even know how to tell you. I don't know what that looks like. But Obviously, it show that there's going to be a lot of people that, that aren't taking their actions. Absolutely. It speaks about armies. Yep. It's immense. And, and, the, and uh, if, if you went into Revelation, the latter part of it, that battle of Armageddon is just, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable. Literally unbelievable. The amount of destruction and loss of life. It, it's unimaginable. You better believe it. Absolutely. 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 And you know, and this is the part that, and this is the scary part. What, what Julie says is exactly true. This is the scary part of it. It's just like Israel. When they were living in good times, when it was really good, you know what happened? They became lethargic and they missed the good stuff. And you know what happened? They were judged. And that, again, was when they turned back to the Lord. It's just a cycle. We have done exactly the same in the United States. We have been blessed for so long. Have we not? Just think of your families and the, and the opportunities we've had. You know, we don't even know what persecution is in this world. We don't have a clue. That's right. And so right now, I'm, that's, that's probably the message. We are here for such a time as this. When we read these things that are coming, and they are going to come. If I was going to ask, if I'm asking you right now, how many of you believe that is exactly what's going to happen? I'm sure all of you would raise your hand, okay? Then we need to act like it. Yeah. It's just like there's a verse, and I can't remember where it is, but somebody who was living saying, oh, you've always talked about the rapture. You've always talked about yeah. that. Yeah, in fact. Uh, and I just heard that here about a month ago. Somebody said, you're always talking about that. It's no closer now than it was back then. It's just like. Right. Right. Or the second, I think Paul and I were talking about, I, it was, I, was, I, had, an, I had a person, I'll not name him, a non-Christian as far as I know, I'm not being his judge, but someone that has no interest in, in the, the things of the Lord, okay? And we were talking about, so I don't know what it was. It was, it was, it was taking a long time. It was, you know, it was like, oh, he says, that'll take longer than the second coming of Christ. And he doesn't, he's, and he's saying that only because that's become an, just kind of something to say, right? Right, right, right. And he didn't, he didn't necessarily mean anything by it because it doesn't mean anything to him. But the point was is that's just a really delayed time and it means nothing. So it's so long as just like the second coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, no. Let's go to second, let's go to second Peter for a moment. Second Peter. What did you say? Let's go to second. You might have something else, but let's go to second Peter. It's actually that same one. I mean, Peter was, wasn't he cool when, when remember, that was, uh, remember when Transworld Radio was here? We had that little, uh, it was kind of a shorter session when we talked about John chapter 21. It was literally the turning point in Peter's life. He was out. He said, I'm done. I'm done with this whole thing. I'm going to go fishing. What I always did, fished all night long, got nothing. And there's somebody on the shore 100, 100 yards away. Let's throw it on the other side of the boat. <laughs> As if, you know, been fishing all night. These are commercial guys, right? These are not dummies. They're not like me fishing. I don't even know how to fish. I would take any advice from anyone about fishing. These guys are good. And this clown on the, on, you know, let's throw it on the other side. <laughs> But you know the key was? They did. And guess what? They caught 153 fish. That was the turning place in Peter's life, literally. He was on fire for Jesus Christ from that point on. It's, it, it, it's really cool. But anyway, look at this. This is what he wrote, 2 Peter chapter, chapter 3. Let's start here. Now, this fits in with what Alice was just saying. Verse 8. And actually, you want to go back and read even some more. You'll talk about the, literally the, the, look at, look at the, the heavens and earth, verse 7. Let's even start there. Verse 7, chapter 3, 2 Peter. 
Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You know what? God has this all totally in control at His timetable. And when it, it's going to flow the way He wants it. But, verse 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason He's delaying, and this is so good, isn't this? This is, again, the sense of His grace and His love. The reason that He's delaying, and He didn't not, remember I said the rapture could happen just for that, before I ended the sentence? You know, the delay is all about His love and His grace. He's wanting every single person to come to repentance. Every single person that's going to come will come. There's not going to be one left out. Not one will be left out that is going to come to him. He's not going to come early. He's not going to be late. See, that's what's cool about God. From his vision, from his point of view, he's always, always, always knows everything all of the time. Always has. There's nothing. I can't even describe eternal, eternal, eternal power and omniscience. I can't even describe it for you. But just think of that. The reason he's delaying is so others can come to him. Yes, yes, and yes. The yes. I mean, yes. Yeah, a absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. Now, that, that's a word that's never described of God as being patient. God is not patient. God has never tried. That's what patience is. It's a testing, right? God is not patient. He's long-suffering. See the difference? How do we get patience? Through trials. God doesn't have trials. But He's long-suffering. Excuse me? He allows, he allows them. And He allows them for our good. It's 2 Peter 3, 4. Is that the one you're looking at? Yeah, I'm saying, where's the promise of His coming? Yep. Yep. Oh, it's, yeah, you, you keep saying that. You keep saying that. You keep saying that. And as a, yeah, you, whatever. But you know, and the, and the answer that I gave the answer, you had the question. And that is literally, you know, for God, He's outside of time. One day to you is like a thousand years to God. It doesn't, it's, it's pointless. So he is not slack concerning his promise. Yep. Okay. So where do we go from here? What are you going to do this week? What's important? It's amazing how this stuff just cuts through the small stuff, right? It's amazing how the small stuff gets in the way, though, right? We had, we had one of those little Saturday night incidents. Uh, we were chopping silage over at Manhattan. We had moved from one job, KG Ranch, to, to uh, Manhattan. And we were just going to, you know, how it, you know, wherever you're at, you should be somewhere else this time of year. It's just how it should be, right? So I said, let's just, guys, let's just cut a few loads. Let's just, so Tony was on the stack. And it's a, it's a difficult place. It's, there's, there's just not enough room. And we're, oof, we're in the air, pushing and packing, packing silage, right? So anyway, I was just getting started just before dark. And uh, the owner, one of the scudders came, and he, he drives out there with the side. He said, Larry, Tony just told me that, He's got the tractor, it's not in a very good spot, and he's concerned. I said, and he doesn't have his phone. So he just told me, I said, this isn't looking good. So anyway, <laughs> so I finished what I was doing, drove it, and it was not good. <laughs> so if you picture this, there's like, you know, it's a bunker silo, which means there's concrete walls on each side, okay? And he's on the side, and he is just about tipped over. And there's nowhere to go, right? I mean, because it's... <laughs> So you kind of walk around, hmm, this is going to be interesting. And you can't, you know, you have to do something because, you know, if you just left this 40,000-pound machine, you know, it's just going to keep going down, right? 
There was a lot of the bulletproof. Okay, God, what should we do now? What should I do now? Well, the first thing we did is we went, I get, got some four by four square bales and I put them on the other side of the, of the, the wall so that if it did, you know, if he came over, at least it wouldn't completely flip over because see, he's, his, the top, the bottom of the tire was about that tall, okay? And the silage went up from there. He's, he's, too, he's gotten himself too far off to the edge. It's, it's hard for you to see this, but if I took pictures, it would haunt me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at any rate, so, so then, you know, people are showing up, you know, because it's, you know, it's stuff. And <laughs> anyway, about two hours later, we finally, I hooked on with a chopper. And, you know, the only place you can pull now is in the pit where silage, and that's just spongy, right? I didn't know if it was going to work, right? But somehow we... God didn't want us to tip that thing over, so there we are. Saturday night special, right? <laughs> but it was but something that was encouraging though. I, I found it encouraging. There was a guy there, and he said, "Are you gonna, are you gonna uh, work tomorrow?" I said, "No." I said, "Not not tomorrow." I said, "You know, that's we're gonna be going to church and family day." And he said, ah, "It's so good. I'm so glad to hear that." He shook, shakes my hand, and it was it was just kind of a neat. There was something good about it, right? It was just, it was cool. Because, again, you can get so busy in what we're doing. Isn't it amazing? It's, we're, we are busy people. It's easy to be busy. Especially there's so many people that aren't busy, right? There's a lot of people that should be working that aren't. But you know what? We need to, and this, this session today really should, should just propel us in the urgency of people needing Jesus. And it's not us that's going don't, to, don't misunderstand what I said. It's still Holy Spirit work. It's God's work, but he, for whatever reason, remember what he told to the, to the disciples? He's got 11 of them. He said, no, no, you guys are going to literally go out in the uttermost parts of the world, and they're going to know about me through you. That's what we are to do. And this message, this prophecy, literally showing what's going to happen. I read, I read Revelation chapter 20. I just look at the doom of the sinner, and I'm just like, it, is, it, just, it, just, it just makes me sick almost because it's permanent, and it's real, and it's happening. But Jesus died for me, for you, and for them. Just praise God together. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you especially, Father, for what you're doing. There are men and women today that will find you. Literally, I should say it differently. You found them. Father, I pray for... There's family members of these gathered here today. There's friends of these that are here today. There are those we know don't know Christ. Father, I just ask in the power of Jesus' name that soon they would get the opportunity to place their trust in Jesus Christ. That literally this day would not go dark until they saw their need for a Savior, seeing that there's no possible way for them to escape this life without having some sense of a Savior. The only Savior that's worthy, the only one that's possible to get them to heaven is Jesus Christ. Not of their own works, not someone else, just Jesus. Father, as Jesus Christ literally foretold history, truly amazing, no doubt, to the disciples to just sit there. They were awestruck by listening to what their, their Messiah, their teacher, their master, the one that literally in two days would be dead, hanging on a cross, would be buried, and yet he was the answer to life. Thank you, Father, for proving that his death was adequate by raising him from the dead. Therein lies the effect and the reason that I'm standing here today because the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves once and for all that he is worthy. And if he is worthy, then when I accept his 
sacrifice by faith, then I am worthy. Not because I deserve it, but because He is worthy. We are worthy. Father, I just ask that you'd be each one of these lives, Father, you have them here for a specific purpose. They are here for such a time as this. Just as Esther fit a purpose and a role in a very difficult time in Jewish history, she did not know the significance of what she was about to do. It may be the same here very much, Father, for those that are gathered here this morning. I pray that you'd be with them in their life journey, each step of the way having that opportunity to share their life, their testimony, the word of Jesus Christ, sharing the peace and the truth that comes only and exclusively from them. Oh, Father God, may a revival return to our nation. May we see our need for you. May we go away from all of the evils of this land. We raise you up, Father. We glorify you. We lift you. We thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.